Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. Yeah, and as usual, as you have questions, we want to hear those questions because we want to help process and answer those questions as best we can. We're not the perfect scholars in any way, shape, or form, but we do uh, have interacted with the Bible a long time, so that way we just kind of offer our thoughts and insights according to what you ask. So feel free to send those questions in. You can email us at info at grove.church, or you can jump on Facebook if you're part of the Facebook community uh, and go find the Grove Church. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, Marysville and Snohomish. Uh, and you can send us a direct message with those questions in hand as well. We get those questions and we, we really do enjoy answering those questions. We've got a couple at the end of this episode that we're going to take time to answer. So feel free to send them those questions and we'll have a good time. And like we answer. said before too, if you're listening to this in the past and not the week it comes out, still send in questions. No, don't. No, it, I'm just kidding. It doesn't have to be about that week's reading or anything. We like answering just any question about the Bible because yeah, it's fun yeah. to be able to study that together. So. Yeah. And you'll find the questions that we've been answering are are pretty much not specific to this podcast or last podcast. These are just questions that are coming up within right. our within our community of individuals reading the Bible together. So there you go. Send them in. As far as resources we're using today, as always, the ESV Study Bible, and then we have the Preaching the Word commentary. It's one of my favorite commentary sets right now. Aaron so really likes that you're one. You're welcome to check it out by Kent Hughes. Uh, and we also Shout used out. a lot of uh, the New Testament in its world by N.T. Wright and Michael Bird, as well as, as well as the Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez. Gutierrez. Which I really like that book. Yes, it was, you do. It was my textbook in college, so. I don't have my textbook anymore. I think Tim Martin, if you're listening to this, I think you still have it. It's funny. I rented, because I, I did two years of community college and then Bible school. So I definitely rented all my textbooks in community college. And then once you get to Bible school, though, you want to keep them all. Yep. So definitely... Until you get to the point where I'm at, where I have books in my, or bins in my garage in my house right now that I got to figure out what to do with because I don't want them. So. Oh, there you go. I might just hand them to you, Evan. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about 1 Timothy. Uh, it's the first of what are called the pastoral letters mm -hmm. of Paul. Uh, he wrote three letters to two different pastors, um, as well as a personal letter to Philemon. I don't remember if that's counted in the pastoral letters mm, or not. I don't think it is, but is it, yeah. we'll, we'll include it. Anyway, we'll call those... Because we quote unquote know better. The, the four personal letters of Paul, we can call those, and then the three pastoral letters. There you go. Uh, and so... I mean, a lot of people, especially if you've grown up in church, you know the basics of the story of Paul and Timothy. Um, mm -hmm. It really was a situation where um, it was kind of a father-son relationship yeah. uh, in the spirit, as it, as it were. But Paul, Paul Such didn't... a weird way to say it. That's true. Ever since I was a kid hearing them, I'm like, this is just weird. What do you mean in the spirit? But <laughs> um, I understand but, what it means now. It just was funny. Paul, yeah. Paul Paul didn't have any children. And so he, he was really, married. Yeah, he, he really does look um, at Timothy as kind of uh, an adopted son, much like um, George Washington, who didn't have any children, looked at the Marquis de Lafayette as an adopted son. I'm still reading that book about the revolution. It's really Great. interesting. He lost me too. Don't so, worry. Just, just smile and nod. That's what I'm doing right now. Anywho. Uh, so the first letter is written in about 8064, um, give or take. And then Paul dies in, I believe it's 8068. So it's uh, towards the end of his, towards the end of his life. Yeah, it's getting towards the end. Second uh, Timothy, we've talked about it on the podcast before. I don't think we've done like a deep dive into it, but mm -mm. when you read Second Timothy, you really get, do get the the idea that Paul knows he's going to die soon, yeah. and he's and he's writing to his his son, which is is, is really cool because you see a different side of Paul. First um, Timothy, there's not that kind of impending doom yeah. hanging over the letter, um, but. It is it is really good. Uh, the other pastor that Paul writes to is a man named Titus. So I don't yeah. want, don't want to sell Titus short that he's in the pastoral letters as well. Um, and then here so here's something that's kind of interesting because uh, Acts 28 ends with 
Paul going to Rome to be in prison. And so we don't know what exactly happens because it's not recorded in Acts. That's Mm -hmm. where it stops. Uh, But at some point, Paul is released from prison in Rome. um, And he goes and visits. I know. He goes and visits some places and then he finds his way back to Rome. And so the reason we have this is just because like the letters to Timothy, he's he's in Macedonia right now, Mm -hmm. Um, which is another interesting thing because Paul loves Macedonia or the church of Macedonia. Yeah, he really does. There's no epistle to it. And so they're not really like that well known, but all the time Paul is like, oh, you guys, Macedonia is so great. They're just generous and they're lovely people. Like It's almost one of those churches he didn't have to write to because he was there for so long. Like most of his epistles are written for direction or, or, or clarity or encouragement. Sure. Uh, but you don't get anything in Macedonia. It almost makes you wonder, like, I think it's probably because he was he was there enough to where he actually just verbally told them what was going on. Yeah, he'd come uh, visit everyone. Hey, that's a stupid choice. Don't do that. Oh, hey, you guys are awesome. Like, I just think that the, the, the power of presence versus the letter is pretty remarkable. So, All right. So yeah. there you go. Um, yeah, and, and I think there's just a few things as we kind of jump into the book as um, just a, just some things that to be reminded of. First off, who is Timothy? Kind of what's the purpose of this book? Um, and and this comes from that preaching the word commentary, just kind of a quick intro. Uh, but it is this like the overarching purpose of this book is to teach uh, for to teach Timothy, but also for Timothy to pass on and teach the the church in Ephesus that he's leading the idea of what's the proper ordering and conduct of those who are in the church. Like how do I live and operate as a member of the church? Um, Young, Timothy was young. Uh, he The letter was written in essence for Paul to just kind of say, hey, hang in there, bud. You can do it. Hang in there. You got it, buddy. Um, come on, keep it up. Uh, but Timothy was young. Uh, it was interesting. One of the things that I remember reading uh, in this commentary as I was working through the book just recently uh, is that he was, we for the most part in... If you go to Bible school, you study the book, you know, study the, even the person of Timothy, you'll, even in, I think it's in second Timothy, maybe it's in first, but like, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. No, this is first Timothy. Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I remember as a student thinking, oh man, he was probably like a teenager. Like, no, he was 30. He's in his mid thirties. Uh, but he was young in comparison to the elders and the leaders within the church of Ephesus. Um, but he was also very timid and shy. Well, and even today, I think, um, like early thirties is still young for like a lead pastor. For if sure. You think about it. Like, but I, when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, he's in his mid thirties. That's right. He's not nearly as young as I thought he was. The way they use that first, it does make yes. me think that Timothy's like 14 yeah. or but something. No, he's in his mid thirties. I mean, 33, 36, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, but he was, the one thing I didn't know about him, that he was very timid and very shy, which makes sense because some of the things that Paul is reminding Timothy in this book, um, he's thrown into a very difficult church context in Ephesus too. It wasn't all, you know, unicorns and rainbows, not that those unicorns really exist, but... But, they, um, but rainbows they and unicorns are easy. Yes, but um, it was a very difficult conversation, you know? Um, and so he he was in writing to encourage Timothy, not just in First Timothy, but Second Timothy as his spiritual son, so to speak, as that adopted son who he has invested and loved and cared for. Um, and that's where the buck up, hang in there, you can do this. Uh, conversations really came into play. Uh, so that's kind of the occasion of it. Um, just a few things about Timothy, the person was really interesting. Um, I didn't realize this, but he was he came from a mixed marriage, so a Jew and Gentile. Uh, his mother was Jewish, his father was a pagan Gentile. Uh, his mother was, uh, they, was, was referred to as a godly woman uh, whose name was Eunice. Uh, and so I remember- Great name. I do, I remember years ago as a youth pastor, we had like a chicken or whatever, and I named the, the chicken Eunice um, as a name because I thought it'd be funny, but because Eunice is such an interesting name. My grandmother is named Eunice. I, I remember that too. You remember so they, finding out when- go. Um, so they lived in Lystra, the, t- the pagan town of Lystra. Uh, and this is where you see Timothy really become that adopted son. You see Paul, he got saved as a young boy during Paul's first missionary journey. Um, when this is when in Acts, when Paul was almost stoned to death, he was brought outside a city. That was the city. Uh, he was stoned to death and 
then uh, didn't die, kind of licked his wounds, whatever, was able to get up, came back from being unconscious and walked back in the same town that he went in. But this is where Timothy got saved. He gave his life to Christ. Um, a scholar named John Stott, uh, again, calculus, he was in his mid thirties, um, but uh, he he just was a really young shy, timid individual. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like I feel like I'm a little timid. So I feel like I'm connected to Timmy in some respects. Um, and you see this love for Timothy, and this is coming from Kent Hughes in this commentary. Tim, Paul loved affectionately the application of Timothy, my true child in faith, um, contains this double, uh, balm is what he calls it. It's a weird way to say it, but gently I, I saw, I can't even say that word, Evan. What is it? <coughs> Asu, whatever. Gent, bottom paragraph there. He's reading bottom my notes. Paragraph. Sorry, appellation. No, I'm totally in. So Paul loved him affectionately. Appellation Timothy much appears to contain a double balm. Gently oh, assuaging, assuaging. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, sorry, uh, I was like, uh, I was, I wasn't looking at your you're notes too when smart you're talking. for me. Um, but just that was regarded as illegitimate by Jewish law because of his Gentile mix. The Jewish law did not regard Timothy well, which is why he needed the affirmation and the spiritual oh. legitimacy. Of, Timoth of Timothy's own faith by Paul. Paul was saying he's my son because he was not viewed or regarded as a legitimate pastor leader to the Jewish people because of his mixed heritage. That's an interesting um, point. So so because of that, Paul is challenging the church. Like, hey, he is my stamp of approval. He's leading in my stead. Uh, so he has the authority given to him by Paul to lead the church that he's in. Uh, and, that's, and that's kind of some of the context that Timothy is stepping into and which Paul is writing to. Um, the church does not approve of him. He's young. He's having to lead other elders and leaders who, in some respects, as you read the book of Ephesians or you look into other other books, that they, the elders leaders are pursuing this this Gnostic idea. They're, they're kind of pursuing this asceticism where they're forgoing certain things and demanding more of people. And Timothy is dropped in this church context in Ephesus and saying, hey, lead. <laughs> and and so Paul's writing this letter to encourage and challenge him. And to, um, to go over those words really quick, just because they're they're big Greek words, but Gnostics believe. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, okay. So Gnostics believe that uh, Jesus wasn't fully man. Yeah, I believe is the one of the idea. Like, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the, and uh, then yeah, it's either they didn't believe he was fully man or fully God. It's one of the two. Um, but I think they were more on the spiritual side. I think they believed that he was like um, that. The point of Jesus was like breaking away from his his humanity and becoming a spirit, and that's what we should strive to, as opposed to kind of like seeing the unity of the two. Yeah, and the um, Gnostics also also pursued knowledge. They, right. they said Christ is an entry-level intellectual side. There's more to know. And they added to Christ. And that was part of it. And if we see this in Colossians, that same tension with the Gnosticism. But yeah. So, yeah. And then asceticism just means basically like going through really hard, rigorous things in order to- Yeah, I'm denying myself these things yourself. because I want to be more righteous. Right. Um, which is not, which is interesting because as Christians, we can see that play out. We, we don't- we don't drink, so to speak, because well, I don't, I don't want to. I want to be more righteous, and we get this almost pompous arrogance and what we deny, self denial for spiritual purposes, yeah. um, and we miss the the well. And I think humility it's a, that it's should a, come with it. It's a trap that Christians fall into all the time. Yes, um, because it is it is a hard balance to strike because the Bible does talk about like you know we should pray, we should fast. Um, there are things that we should deny to ourselves, but are we doing it um, to prove our righteousness, or are we doing it because you know we we want a genuine relationship with with God to grow yeah. deeper. Um, and I also think like in the calls to the Bible, it, like, with a lot, like fasting, for instance, it's not necessarily like your entire life do these things. It's like for seasons. So, yeah. And I think that with, with most um, people who are 
leaning towards asceticism. It's just kind of like, no, full lifestyle all the time. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, that's what Timothy is leading in. That's what he's becoming a pastor in is well, that context where it's, it's much like even the Jewish population, it's adding things to the law. It's you want to be righteous before God and uphold the law. Here's what you need to do on top of it. And where, where Ephesus is at is it's in Western Turkey. And so, mm-hmm. and we talked about this a little bit with the Galatians yes. um, podcast, but it's very cosmopolitan. And so Timothy is not just dealing with, you know, the Jews or whatever. He's dealing like there's a bunch of Jewish Culture. people there. He's dealing with a bunch of Greeks, a bunch of Romans. Um, even I didn't know this until we were looking at the Galatians passage, but like some like Visigoths were there. So like that's like Spain and France. Um, oh wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's, it, there's like a big migration that happened. So anyway, there's there's all these different cultures coming together that yeah. Timothy is having to pastor um, as a young leader who's yeah. very timid. And if you think yeah, if you think America's hard to pastor, like think about like all of those cultures coming together mm-hmm. and having to communicate the gospel effectively. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy thing. And now you get to see why Timothy or Paul's writing to Timothy, the way he's writing and what he's writing. Yeah. And so, second, second Timothy, which we're not talking about today, takes on a whole new depth of that as well, where you see the affection. Right. So, but so this is more leadership. We kind of just picked out a few highlights from the book. Um, we gave you a lot of context there, uh, but it does start off with just to kind of wrap up our, our first section. Uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God, our savior and of Jesus Christ, our hope to Timothy, my true child, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So right there we get the the picture of yeah. you know, Timothy, my true child in the faith. Uh, moving on, there's kind of, you can divide Timothy into four sections, but really it's two uh, because the first section is just the introduction. The last section is Paul saying goodbye. So um, the two big meaty sections uh, we'll say are what we'll call church in, church instructions and then personal instructions. Mm-hmm. So instructions that's advice basically Paul is giving to the church as a whole. Um, and then advice that Paul is giving Timothy directly, or I guess I should say Timothy on how to deal with people and then Timothy with how to deal with the church. So yeah. uh, the very, the very next sentence is first Timothy one uh, three. And Paul begins to warn Timothy about um, some issues. So he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make con- uh, confident assertions. Um, and so really what he's talking about there is like, don't let people get so caught up in things that are um, essentially beyond beyond what scripture is teaching us or beyond mm-hmm. the revelation that God has given us. Um, and we can see that today. Like it, it's funny because I do, I, I am curious what he means by endless genealogies. Like what were the people, um, what were the people like really like going after there? <laughs> like what was the point? Um, but I mean, I do think there's, there's things today that as Christians, we can definitely get hung up on. Um, like I think of um, like one, one that comes, one that comes up all the time is just kind of like, like trying, trying, trying to predict the return of Christ, like when it's going to happen and stuff yeah. like that, where it's, it's never like, more relevant than right now, bro. Yeah. So it's like our world today. Yeah. And so I think, and, and I want to be careful because I do think a major part of being a Christian is, is realizing that our hope is in Christ's return. And it's something that we look forward to mm-hmm. it's something that we have expectation for. So that's not a bad thing, but just kind of like that, look, I've been, I've been looking at it. And uh, according to my research, the date is this day. It's like, okay, like that's not <laughs> like, right. This isn't what it's about. Um, so that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just a lot of false teaching coming in. And again, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a unique area just because it's so 
filled with other cultures, with other people yeah. from different ideas. Um, and I should have mentioned this, like Persians were coming over from the East as well. So yeah. there's, there's a ton of different uh, ideas and, and cultures coming together. And so well, and it's, having to fight against all of it. Yeah. And I think that that's some of the, the tension, even as Paul's like, stick to the gospel. And, 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 and the, what the myth or the lie that people have believed that Paul is addressing here in this moment is literally people wanting to go deeper beyond the gospel. Sure. And they, again, it's that Gnostic mentality at times where it's like, I, the gospel is a great place to start, but let's go deeper. And, and the whole point Paul is making, Jesus is it. Jesus is enough. You need to continue to grow in your understanding of the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. And the, the depth of that understanding is what transforms into how you live your life. And, and that's what's called doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is that tension that Paul is addressing in this first section where he's just saying, hey, listen, stop, stop going deeper. And in essence, in their pursuit to go deeper, they put the gospel aside and, and they're pursuing other things that are more humanly attainable. Uh, and so that's, that's what, that's part of that tension too, that Paul's addressing. So there you go. To, to move forward in another section, we get uh, Paul's advice on church discipline. Uh, this is first Timothy one, 18 through 20. And it says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that, uh, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made a shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, and this is, it's interesting because this is language that we get from Paul in a few different spots, the idea of handing them over to Satan. Um, but really what he's talking about there is church discipline in the sense of basically telling them, okay, like, well, you need to not come back for a while mm-hmm. and essentially removing people from church membership or removing them from church um, attendance, if it were with the, with the intent. And this is where I think it's important, not with the intent of never seeing them again, but with the intent of hopefully this will lead them to repentance um, and coming back to faith. Yeah. So, and I think that's a really important, uh, that's a really important too, is when, when church discipline is mentioned, particularly in the epistles, it's almost always with the intent um, of bringing those people back, not with the intent of just punishment uh, to make an example of them, I guess is what I would say. Uh, And then finally, uh, and this is one of the more famous passages is there's a list of qualifications for both elders and deacons in the church. Um, And so elders, I would say like, it's hard because like what elder means like today is not really what it meant back then. And the same thing with deacons a little bit. So if you, if you want to think about the way I normally think about it, and it's not a perfect comparison, but I, I normally think of elders as like lead pastors. And I think of deacons as like pastoral and other staff um, and, yeah, and volunteers. The, the other and leaders, like that. Yeah. yeah. So if we, if we were to bring that into our modern context, that's how I would uh, kind of view it. But he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is another uh, term that Paul uses for elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be pu- become puffed up with uh, conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 
Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, uh, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and all their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So yeah, Paul's giving Timothy advice on these are the people that you want to appoint mm-hmm. to lead churches or to serve in churches in in Ephesus. Yeah, and it also provides a clarity for Timothy to then address those who are currently elders or right. who are currently deacons in the church and, and leveraging influence because that's what they have. Um, and and they're they're stewarding that influence wrongly. They're stewarding the, the the doctrine and the gospel wrongly because of the pursuit. And so Timothy is called to correct them. Timothy and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it First Timothy or Second Timothy? Where Paul talks about the word of God is used for correction. Uh, is that Second Timothy? Second. Okay. I think Second Timothy three sixteen. Sure. I, I it's the other famous three sixteen. Right yeah. Uh, but it is that picture of like it's it's useful for correction, it's useful for rebuke, it's useful for uh, building up people, and so um, there is that tension where Paul is reminding Timothy, this is what it is to be an elder or a deacon. Make sure you uphold that uh, and call those people to it. He he calls them all to a higher standard for sure. This next part I think is uh, really great advice for, and so this is the more personal advice is not how Timothy should treat his church, but how Timothy should treat people specifically yeah, relationships um, people. I think this is great advice not just for pastors this is great advice just for people of how to treat um, how to treat your fellow Christians so it says in first uh, Timothy 5 1 through 8 do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father younger men as brothers older women as mothers younger women as sisters in all purity honor widows who are truly widows but if a widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of god she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on god and continues in supplications and prayers day and night but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Which, ooh, that's a heavy statement at the end there. So true. Um, But I think it's it's just so wonderfully practical about. I think the first part specifically is is really applicable to all Christians, where you know treat older. Older men and women, as you would your mother and father, treat uh, younger men and women as you would your brother or sister. Um, and it's it's funny. And Paul's not talking in, rel- in rel- relation to Timothy's age. There's a very strong category between older and younger. Right. And so Timothy's in the younger category. So it, when it says younger men or younger women, it's not saying that. Because I remember reading it because first like, well, who, who am I supposed to treat those who are my age? Treat your 18-year-old brother yeah. as your father. But yeah, right. Um, but he is talking about like men who are older, who carry a father status, who carry you know, leadership who have, who have a longer life than you. Um, and that, that's some of the tension that, that is, or not tension. That's just some of the clarity that Paul understands when he says older men or younger men, there's a very clear understanding for Timothy as far as who that category is. Well, and I think it, like even the phrase, um, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. It makes me think of, um, like if me and my dad disagreed on something, I wouldn't be like, you idiot old man. Like yeah, it's right. just kind of, but like maybe that's my instinct with like other older people who I disagree with a lot of stuff. But yeah, like with my with my father, obviously, like, you know, I love him and like, I want to talk through like different issues or whatever it is. Yeah. And so Paul's saying like, you know, treat people um, like that. And I think the second half of it is really good pastoral advice. Maybe it doesn't apply as much to just Christians broadly, but it's saying, you know, when, when someone um, is needing to be taken care of, go to their family first um, because 
it's pleasing to God when people take care of people in their own family. Yeah. So like, and, and, and I think it's just, it's just a good thing where um, there, there should be a call of an, an expectation that children would be taking care of their parents, yeah. that family members will be able to take care of families because that's, that's really what, what family is. Yeah. And so, so true. And so I love that he makes the distinction between if there's family, go to the family and encourage them to take care of this person. And then he says, if they're truly widowed, which basically just means they have no one else left and no family, then, then, then the church needs to step in. Yeah. So when well, it's hard, I think, I think this is like this passage in and of itself, this section is, is, is really a call, I, I would say, even to Christians today, like how we re- treat each other, how are we perceive each other. I mean, there's so much disrespect. And, and part of it is like, we, we've heard this, for, I've heard this for years, right, as a youth pastor years ago, um, but the whole idea of a fatherless generation, like a generation that their dads are not present, there's not this understanding of authority in their lives as much. And I'm not trying to like simplify all the world's issues today, but what I am saying is like, when I don't know how to interact with my dad, then I won't know how to interact with older men. And True, yeah. my, my dad taught me to respect my dad. I mean, it was, my dad was in the Navy. So it was a yes, sir. Yes, ma'am response. There was a very high respect for authority. Uh, and when I didn't respect authority, dude, I, I got, I got a butt whooping. Like uh, I got spanked full on. My dad made a paddle that was three quarter inch plywood that when I hit it one time, he just made another one out of the plywood in the, in the garage. Um, and he, you know, he was a skilled craftsman, not just for paddles, but just in general, but it, it was this deep respect and understanding. And I love that you, you bring it up perfectly. Like, how would you talk to your father if he if he was in your life actively? How would you talk to your father figure? You wouldn't yell at them. You wouldn't berate them. You wouldn't degrade them. You would talk to them. Your tone would be drastically different. And that's part of what Paul is saying is have your, like your tone should match your perception. Uh, and it's true in every shape or form. Like when I don't have a great perception of who you are or your value, my tone shows it. <laughs> right. No, it's and, true. And so I think there is that that piece of it. And the other thing too, because I think it's worth saying, when, when Paul talks to Timothy about younger women, um, he says to view them as sisters in all purity. Literally, that word means chastity. It means the way that I perceive and talk and interact with younger women, women right. that are in a category that are not in the mother category. My call as a, and I, I'm not Timothy, but I'm still called to be a representative of Christ. I'm still a minister of the gospel. My call, and this is my 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 soapbox for a minute, like this is my youth pastor preaching moment, <laughs> but like how we view women as young men is to be with purity. And the purity is literally chastity, like without sexual motive or without sexual agenda. How we view them is meant to be as sisters, not saying every, every girl's your sister. That's just a little weird. But to view them as if you would be viewing or interacting or thinking of your sister. Yeah. My, my youth pastor always used to say, um, when, you know, like conversations like that would come up, is like, yeah, you need to treat, even when you're like dating young women, if you're a young man, treat them as you would treat your sister, like mm-hmm. treat them with that kind of respect and that kind of... Um, which to be honest, like a pubescent teenage boy, like to be told, like, I have to treat my girlfriend like my sister. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's, but it, but it's, but it biblically it's, it, it, it's that perspective and understanding of purity of this is, if this, this is, this may not be my wife, but this is someone's daughter. This is, <laughs> this is someone's sister and I need to have that perspective. So I honor, yeah. so I cherish and I care well for that individual. And yeah. And there is like, um. Like I, I have a, I have a younger sister. And so obviously like the way I view her is with- Shout her. out to Brittany. Yeah. Brittany's awesome. Uh, recently engaged also. Hello. Um, but yeah, I mean like the when way- she need me to do the wedding again? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, obviously like the way I view her is like, there is like some, there is some protection there. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some like, I, I deeply care about her as a person. I, I, I it's, it's more than just kind of like, like he's saying, I, I view her with, um, with all purity in, in that sense where there's, mm-hmm. there's no, um, 
there's no other motivation for the love yeah. I have for my sister. Yeah, it's not what can she her. give me? Yeah, it's I value and care about her. You know, and and even as I have older sisters and a younger sister, you know, there's a point where it's it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, it's that brother mentality, and that that's what Paul is calling Timothy to have a brother mentality in how you view women. Um, fight for them, protect them, do what you can to honor them. So there you go. Sorry, that's my soapbox. I'll stop. I like it. For, the former youth pastor comes out. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if that will ever not come out because that's it's right. it's so it's so profound and challenging and true because our culture needs it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and our final section we just want to talk about is a, uh, a warning against false teachers um, that Paul gives. This is towards the end of the book in the last chapter. Uh, but in chapter six, verses one through eight, it says, let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honors so that the, in the, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather that they must serve all the better since those who benefit by the good service are believers and beloved. False teachers and true contentment teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving <laughs> and understands nothing. Uh, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, uh, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining godliness as a, is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, the with these we will be content. Um, I think, I think that's really applicable to today Yeah. Um, because you do see, and it's, it's, it's not, a. Um, I think we talk a lot today about like, you know, the prosperity gospel, um, which, you know, I don't, I don't want to go too extreme with it. Cause I think some people kind of get lumped into that category, which I'm not comfortable lumping them in. But the, the, the idea there is, um, we're not Christians to make this life better. Um, we're not Christians to be, to get material gain. We're not Christians because, you know, if we give, um, this amount of money, God's, God's going to double it. If you just send it like that, 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 that Wait, that's whole... not true. <laughs> no. Oh, I gotta see if I can get my money. I'm just kidding. Oh no. Don't do it. Please don't give your money to people who um, say that. Yeah. But the, the whole idea there is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Or in other words, it's, it's, um, it, it reminds me of the, the Horatio Spafford hymn, the, it is well with my soul with the whole idea being that in the middle of just like r- darkness, yeah. um, of just the worst times of life, what we can rest in is, is our relationship with God. Yeah. It's it's not about that life is going to always be, you know, rainbows and unicorns, like you said earlier, um, or that we're always going to have all these different things that mm-hmm. we want. It, it really is about, um, and it, it, echo, it echoes what the psalmist says too, yeah. with the idea of true. Um, restore to me the joy of my salvation. So it's, it's, and a, I think that's a prayer we all should be praying. Absolutely. Regularly. Uh, there's a line here that I'm, I'm, I'm reading from the commentary, the preaching the word by Kent Hughes. Um, seriously, a great commentary. I'm not sponsored by him at all, uh, but this has been this has been deeply challenging and 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 life giving to me in my own devotional life as I read through some of these. But um, he just simply says this: Healthy Christianity focuses on Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises through His atoning death, resurrection, and ascension. Period. <laughs> there you go. That's it. And and the whole the line godliness with con- it, it with con- is what with contentment is great. great game. Thank you. Sorry, I want to make sure I said it right. But it's this idea of like Jesus is enough. And I know we've said that, and we've said it in church world. We said it as Christians a lot. But at the end of it, boil it back down to it is well with my soul. 
Uh, and I know we've talked about that hymn a little bit. There's been different highlights and different moments over the course of the last whoever knows how many months and years um, since we've been doing this podcast. But the reality is like Jesus is it. Our, our hope, our anchor, our source, the truth with which we build our lives upon is Jesus Christ and him, period. Nothing else. His yep. death, his resurrection, and his ascension is enough. And, and what Paul is reminding Timothy and challenging those who are false teachers who slander and blaspheme other Christians because it's this divisive reality, which we see playing out right now. I see the Christian world, population, whatever, being ripped into in, in, in half and then some based upon certain beliefs and thoughts. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's Christ and him crucified, his resurrection and his ascend, ascension. It's all of that is, is, is more than enough. And Paul is reminding Timothy to double down on the knowledge to grow deeper in our understanding of the gospel, not adding more things to it so we can think we're better uh, versed in understanding it. So, yeah, I think it's great. Um, and we'll just, I think that's a great note to wrap it on, uh, wrap it up on, Jeez. wrap it on, <laughs> wrap it on uh, with our discussion of first Timothy, uh, but don't go anywhere. We have a couple questions that came in that we wanted to answer. Um, but before we do, we just want to remind you guys to uh, leave us a five-star review because it, uh, it really helps get the podcast out there to more people. It helps to continue to grow mm-hmm. um, just our community of people reading the Bible together. And that um, really is our heart. I, I feel like I say this every week, but it's worth reminding you, like we're not looking for our own little ego strokes. Um, but we, we really do enjoy we don't get seeing, seeing the podcast grow, like seeing the podcast be viewed and listened to different parts throughout the world. Uh, and so just the fun idea, like we're all kind of leaning into this whole thing together, reading through the Bible and, and working through the, you know, the different books and the different characters and the different themes, uh, it's just a fun piece for Evan and I, as we, uh, you know, love, love God's word and love helping people love God's word more. So that's the whole heart behind leave us a five-star review. It's algorithm based. It's sharing it is caring, so to speak. So sharing is caring. You're welcome. All right. So uh, first, question, first question that came in was a super random question. In reading the various epistles or the, the letters in the New Testament, the writers routinely quote the Old Testament, but don't ever seem to mention what Jesus said. Why is that? Because they didn't believe it. No, I'm just kidding. That's so bad. Yeah. I mean, this one's, it's actually, it's got a really simple answer yeah. to it. Well, and I told Evan, I said, are you sure about the answer to this? Because he wrote his answer down first. I said, are you sure about that? He's like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, okay, I think you're right. So, um, so Mark is most likely the earliest gospel. I yes. say most likely, cause obviously they don't, they don't write the date in the book, um, <sighs> but as best it would we make can, things so much easier if they did. Yeah, true. Um, as best we can tell it's written in the, um, mid to mid late sixties, yeah. possibly the early seventies. I tend to favor a little bit of an earlier date. That's AD, not 19. We're not talking about the 1960s. Yes. Uh, <laughs> although some people would love it. That were true. There you go. Um, anyway, so with, with that being the backdrop, most of the epistles were written before that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look through, like the the last epistles that we have are the more personal epistles, which are, you know, the Timothy and Titus, particularly with Paul is kind of what I'm focusing yeah. on here. Um, and so if that's- Paul the, wrote most of the epistles. Yeah. If, just if, to be honest. Yeah. So if that's the case, most of them are written before we have a, um, a really good record of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I would say that's probably your main reason is that- um, at the very, at the very latest, Mark was probably being written around when the last epistles were being written, which means it wasn't widely circulated. Yeah. And so it just wasn't something that was quoted as often. We so. just got to remember too, that even when Jesus quoted scripture, he quoted the old Testament because that's, that's all they had. They right. didn't have a new Testament. The new Testament is a canonized reality for, for the modern era, but uh, the, the, the timeline, that's what it was more than yeah. anything else. And I want to be careful too, because I think some people will take this as, um, well, the, 
the writers of the epistles didn't really have a clear understanding of And that's who not Jesus. true right? Yeah, no, they, they're clearly talking Paul about- Paul even talks about having first count eyewitness yep. interactions with Christ. Like, so they, the, the eyewitness the, is still relevant and true. Um, the actual handwritten stuff is, yep. a, is a little bit different, but and it's also, all from eyewitness accounts. It's also a great argument for um, the divinity, because some people will argue that people, that the church didn't view Christ as divine until later. And that was kind of written into the past, but it's it's funny because in the epistles, it's very clear that mm-hmm. Christ's view is divine, and the epistles are actually written earlier than the gospels, most of them. Yep. Um, so anyway, there's something there. Uh, question two, gentlemen, thank you for using a proper title. Thank you, sir. Uh, a request: Can you take a score. moment to explain the Septuagint? I saw a cross reference in a note in my reading of reading today of Romans two. Good book. Roden two is what I almost Roden. said. Uh, and the Apocrypha. It might be helpful if I remember correctly. The story of the Maccabees uh, is in the Apocrypha. I think. Okay, so just kind of go. This one's also pretty. It's pretty straightforward. Um, so in between the Old and the New Testaments, a ton of stuff in world history happens, um, and it's kind of funny because. Um, the period of the Old Testament, there's not a ton that is um, relevant to overall world history events, if that makes sense. In the New Testament, there's not not much besides Christ himself mm-hmm. um, that's super relevant. Um, but the period in between is like Alexander the Great <laughs> and all this different stuff and Julius Caesar and like yeah. all these things come up. Um, so, Which is really important to remember. Like that's, yep. that's a big part of the history of the world that is not specifically written about in scripture. And it's the reason that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. Yes. Um so, so what so please understand that like th- there's there's a bit like our our version of ancient times from a historical standpoint is in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like it, it's that portion. And then you see some of the the later Roman stuff like you see it will influence the New Testament and some of the writings, but but like please understand like the, the things that we know historically from ancient times, the Mesopotamia times, like, I guess that's not true, but um, from ancient Rome and from history, like th- this was, this was a big deal. Oh yeah. And it's funny because it took me a while to, to realize that when I was going through world history classes, like, well, where does all this fit into the Bible and the narrative of the Bible? And then, because I was some young punk kid, I didn't care. Like I just moved on from really wrestling through that. But mm-hmm. so, so yeah, sorry, so, I just want to make sure we understood that. No, that's a great point. Um, so yeah, when we leave the Old Testament, uh, Israel is under Persian captivity, or I mean, they're allowed to go back, but they're under yeah. Persian rule. Um, and that's kind of where it ends. And so after that happens, we have Alexander the Great who arises in uh, Paul's favorite city, Macedonia. Uh, but he comes through, he conquers like massive portions of the Everything. world. And it's called um, the Hellenization is the word for it. But basically mm-hmm. it's, so he brings Greek culture to the uh, world. Yeah. I mean, the world the, as at, they at the time. Yeah. Not the far East or the yeah. far West necessarily, but the ancient world. We'll yeah. To the ancient world. Um, and so Israel all of a sudden goes through a big cultural shift. And so instead of just being purely Jewish, there's a lot of Greek thought that's making its way in. And the Greek language is also becoming um, the most common language, I think in Israel at the time, yeah. um, as well as Aramaic and things like that. And so, and the other thing we'll see too, and we saw this with Latin um, during the medieval ages, but like people would communicate by Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how you would write things. So with with that as a backdrop to everything, um, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So then, yeah. And so it's it's not very like, simple. Yeah. There's nothing like that. Um, but such a good question. Yeah. There's nothing like that special about it. It's just kind of like it was written for people to be able to read the Old Testament in yep. Greek. So, Which is a big deal in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about the Septuagint is it includes extra books that were not considered scripture by earlier Jews. Um, and this would be 
Um, the, the, the most famous one is probably the Maccabees mm-hmm. uh, because that's the story of, and again, even that's Hellenization because I, I forgot which person it was, but the, whoever was in charge of Jerusalem was trying to make offerings to Zeus in the temple. And that was like the final straw where they're like, okay, guy, you can't just, you you're can't, done. You can't just Move make on. offerings Get to pagan gods in the temple. So that's when the rebellion started. Um, yeah. As, as far as the Apocrypha goes, um, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, there's stuff in it. I think the Maccabees is really interesting stuff and it gives us a really good insight into um, what Jewish culture was between, mm-hmm. and it's important too, because like 400 years is a long time. Yeah. And that's the, I, that's the time period between the old, the close of the old Testament and the birth of Jesus. Yeah. And um, just, I mean, just for clarity, what the United States of America, which is where we live, obviously um, we're not 300, we're yet. not even 300. Yeah. But there's so much that has happened since 1776 like when we began like the whole like there's so much that has yeah. happened 400 years ago was that 1620 is what we're saying yep that's elizabeth is that elizabeth the first shakespeare i don't know, I don't know. Anyway, Listen, i took a class in world history Jamestown? i didn't major in world history okay yeah. there's stuff there's Jamestown, stuff bro i grew up in virginia i've been to jamestown Ooh. have you been there yet i don't think i have dude you need to go i've heard it's really Yorktown, cool. jamestown that's all yeah we did the mount there's vernon history, monticello bro. thing that was pretty cool okay i wonder if we did go to jamestown i know you're all very interested in hearing about this our our child laugh Anywho, um, yeah, so 400 years is a long time. So I think the Apocrypha is really helpful in the sense that it fills the gaps of, you know, what is happening in Israel uh, mm-hmm. during this time, as well as what's happening in Jewish thought in yeah. general, because there is a big shift between um, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, they aren't in the Old Testament. They just kind of like- Pop up. They they pop up. And then what's interesting too is the the writers assume that you know who they are. Yeah, right. So there's-, there's Because they knew. Yeah, there's not too much context given there. Yeah. Um, and the, so the, that's to say, like the apocrypha has value oop, to understand. Bum, bum, that was like angelic almost. No, but the apocrypha has value to understand that that in between season, like that in between time, you get some of the. It's almost like a a prequel to the New Testament, um, but the New Testament is set apart because of the canonization and the actual authority of Scripture right. versus the apocrypha, which doesn't have that authority. And so. that's where the apocrypha, I think, if you. That's why I wouldn't view it as scripture because there are yes, parts of it yeah. that. Um, that directly contradict uh, biblical theology. Yeah. yeah. So I Doctrine. think yeah. I think taken as a whole, they're really important historical books. They're good to read. Yeah. Um, it's good to have a, a history of those things. Um, just I wouldn't give but it the same. But not in place of your Bible. Yeah. I would give it the same weight that I would give maybe like the early church fathers, where it's not infallible. Um, it's not scripture, but it's it's really good stuff to read. Yeah. So there you go. Good question. All right. Yeah. I love answering those. Um, and that will wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. just want to remind everyone that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other podcasts and resources on our website at grove.church. Have a great week, guys.